You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. It is Pentecost Sunday, and we have a text that for a lot of my life growing up, when I heard Acts chapter 2, the pastor would often start with, this is our text. And it's not. No denomination or group of people are allowed to colonize a text in the Bible. This text is literally what it says. It's for the world. And those of us who receive it well will bring this text to the world. This is the moment that the church that you're in right now, rewind 2,000 years, was born. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound... The multitude came together. Everybody say multitude. The multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome and folks from Hopewell and Newburgh and Poughkeepsie and Uvalde and Buffalo and Washington, D.C. Can I get a witness for somebody? This is for everybody. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed. Everybody say all. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're drunk. They're filled with new wine, is a nice way of calling people drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only 9 a.m. If it was 6 p.m., I don't know what I'd say, but it's 9 a.m., so they're definitely not drinking. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and we will stop there for now. Spirit baptism. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me first tell you what I believe spirit baptism is. It is an ongoing and always developing experience with God's experience. It is an ongoing and always developing experience with God's experience. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a church, like we just experienced during the worship service, we are experiencing God's experience. What God is experiencing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the fullness of what God is experiencing. And so when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, 
our experience and God's experience becomes one single experience. And this is why we have to be open to all of the feelings that God might have at any given time and sometimes disassociate it from what we may actually be going through. So I've said this before, if you wake up one day and you just feel really heavy, we have a tendency to rebuke a spirit of heaviness. But maybe God is inviting you into his spirit of heaviness that he has over another group of people in another zone of the world. And you're experiencing God's experience of suffering and lament and care and empathy. For, and so it's our, just our job to pray, not rebuke away every negative emotion. So many times we think something is wrong with us when in reality it's something that God is grieving in the world and because there's something right with us, we are linking up with God's grief. And we are joining him in his tears as Steve so eloquently said the past two Sundays. So there should be a point where you wake up every morning and you say, Lord, I can't do anything about what I've done. All I can say is for the rest of this day, I want what I feel to be what you're feeling. And I want to ask in any emotion I find myself in, who are you for me right now while I'm feeling this? Who are you while I'm feeling heartache? Who are you while I'm feeling elation? Who are you when I'm feeling introspective? Who are you when I'm feeling anxious and scared and terrified? Not rebuke the emotion or accept the emotion, but leave the emotion and say, Lord, who are you for me in this? We don't want to rebuke our emotions. We don't want to indulge every one of them. When they happen, we want to ask the Lord, who are you, and what does this emotion mean for me right now in light of you in my life? Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just about speaking in tongues. That is a huge part of it. But it is about being filled with a supernatural love, the kind that people around the world haven't experienced if they haven't experienced Jesus. We're so attuned to what we can measure that we miss the weightier matters of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, there are a lot of gifts of the Spirit and they all matter, but there is a more excellent way. And that way is love. Because the gifts of the Spirit without love hurt people. Has anybody had a prophecy before? That was just a bit off. Has anybody ever met somebody who feels that they have a prophetic call on their life, but really they're just walking in a spirit of accusation and judgmentalism? Or you haven't, which means we're doing pretty well. I haven't either here. Just kidding. Wait. Yeah, just kidding. Maybe I have. We need to be empowered to empower, not to overpower. We need to be empowered to empower, not to overpower. When the church is most wrong, it uses the power of God to overpower other people. When the church is most righteous, it is using the power of God to empower other people. God gives us his power because real power is given, not accumulated and held on to. 
maybe you were all out late last night. Perfectly fine. I'm not judging you, but you're going to make me work for it a little bit today. I need to say that again. Because real power is given, not accumulated and not held on to husband and wife. You're not the most powerful when you get the other one you're living with to see it your way. You're the most powerful when they realize they're more themselves today because of you. Mom and dad, you're not most powerful when you get your kids to behave. You're most powerful when your kids feel the safest because you're in the room. Friends, you're not the most powerful when your social network is bent and twisted and flexed to fit all of your needs and priorities and preferences. It's when your friends know that you'll bend and flex and twist to meet their needs. Real power is given, it's not accumulated, and it's not held on to. If it was, Jesus would never have given us the Holy Spirit. We would just be holding, we would be beholden to him in a particular way. And the church has gotten this kind of wrong. God created us, but we have somehow misinterpreted creation for ownership. And we've treated God like he owns us and therefore can just treat us like puppets, but that's not how love works. God woos us. He doesn't control us. He speaks tenderly to us. He doesn't make us do anything. He invites us. He doesn't yank. He doesn't pull our arm out of our socket, getting us to go where we need to go. He doesn't own. He created us. He hovers over us. He beckons us. But he is not tyrannical over us. Because real power isn't. Whenever you meet somebody, see somebody, turn on Fox News or CNN, and you see power being coercive, it's because they have none, and they're desperately trying to get it. We need to be organized. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive power to empower. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be organized and not demonize. When we're disorganized in our life, has anybody ever felt haphazard before? Please, somebody put your hand up for more than a second. I mean, am I the only one? You just feel haphazard. Like, you're doing stuff, and you're like, is what I'm doing connected to anything at all? Like, I'm just doing stuff. Remember that, that here goes the ADD. Remember that, that, that thing you could go into at a carnival where they shoot up, like, money at you or, like, different things, and you're just trying to take your shirt to collect as much as you can? Like, that's how life feels sometimes. I'm just grabbing at whatever's flying by me. It doesn't feel connected. We need to be organized. Yes, our finances need to be organized. Our emotions need to be organized. Organization doesn't mean there's not wrong. It means you know where the wrong is. Being organized financially doesn't mean your finances are good. It means you can point to where they're bad and why, and now we know where we need to go to work. So it's not, we need organization so we can see what's bleeding and what's not. What's swollen and what's healed? What's okay and what's broken? And it's not just financially. In our relationships that seem to teeter and totter with every gust of wind, we need to figure out why the foundations of them seem so unsure and haphazard. And we need to sit down. Before you ever try to get something right with somebody in your house, first identify and agree on what's wrong. Don't, well, I don't want to confess it. Well, then you don't want to fix it. Stop with that nonsense. I'm not going to confess into the atmosphere what's wrong. 
Your whole marriage is confessing into the atmosphere what's wrong. You're late to the party. We all know what it is. Just have a conversation and sit down and say, okay. Jacqueline and I do it all the time. She's wrong constantly. And I'm like, listen. We sit down and I ask the most fearful question ever. Okay. I know I'm upset right now. But what do you see that I'm doing that I could be doing better? And she takes out her spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm like, you got a whole spreadsheet on your MacBook Pro there, huh? That's why me and Sophia are always trying to go to the computer and like unplug it. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because we need to empower to, we need to be empowered to empower. We need to be organized because when we're not organized, we tend to tear other people down. The, one of the, one of the, man, I don't even, I'm not going to get to half of this. One of the emotions that we can feel that causes uh, a lack of stability in almost all of our other emotions is haphazardness. When, when we are going through hell, but we're organized, you ever notice that you rise to the occasion really well? When something's going wrong, but you know, I know what's going wrong, I know what God said, I know who I am, I know where I'm going to be inclined to mess this up so I'm ready to like, even face myself, all of a sudden you rise to the occasion in an emergency. But then when, when them little foxes who ruin the whole vineyard come, and you don't know, it can just be a small little thing like a traffic jam or somebody who is waiting for a spot and you're trying to pull into a ballet recital, I'm just spitballing here, and there's 100,000 cars cars and you're going to be there for 17 straight hours to watch your daughter do a three-minute dance, which she did amazing, by the way, and somebody's holding a spot for somebody else, and you're like, get out of that spot because I'm not stopping my car. Like, I'm just going to keep going into this spot. Like, all of a sudden, when you feel disorganized, the smallest thing could cause all the dominoes to fall. When we're feeling haphazard, disjointed all over the place, the first thing we need to do is pause and let the wind settle. We're going to talk about that right now. There are three different kinds of power that I want to talk about in the Acts text that we read, the most popular text in all of Pentecostal theology, as a matter of fact. And I want this to be so normal when you hear it, it seems obvious, because we are about to enter what is called ordinary time. You walked with us through Advent and Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Easter season, Pentecost, and now we enter what is called ordinary time. And up until the church started to do this, ordinary was considered a negative. <sighs> How was that food? It was ordinary. But what the church is trying to tell us for the last 1,500 years is that the new ordinary is life filled with the Spirit of God who makes meaning in every single moment of your life. The new ordinary is that God wants to tell you things about every moment you're in because they're all equally valid and eternal, and you don't need to wait for better moments to come to find something that you can latch onto. Every moment is a Jesus moment. Every one of them. 
That's ordinary. Ordinary is walking in revelation. Ordinary is bearing the fruit of the Spirit for the life of the world. Ordinary is walking in deliverance. Ordinary is having an anointing on your life to heal somebody else. Ordinary is being able to see in a dark situation what no one else can see, and you can shine the light on it for them. Ordinary is about breaking racial tensions. Ordinary is about destroying the isms that we can think about. That's ordinary, Salem. Amen? So we need to get to some ordinary because what's going on out there is not ordinary. So where does it all start? Well, it starts with us in this room, number one. And it starts with waiting power. Is everyone excited to hear about this? Waiting power. Raise your hand if your favorite thing in the world is to sit with an unresolved issue in your life. I just love when I don't know how things are going to turn out. It's the best. Just wonder what they're really thinking about me. I just wonder if I'm going to be able to pay this bill. I just wonder if he's going to come back home. I just wonder, you know, if we're going to get to next Christmas together. I just wonder. We love these things. We love sitting in unresolved issues. The very first thing that the Spirit makes people do on the day of Pentecost is wait. Waiting power is communal. It's not confining. We all, every one of us, in our own way, have a tendency when things are unresolved, when things are not settled, when when something could still go one of two, maybe three, maybe four ways, and when we feel unresolved in our own self. I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in life. I'm, I'm working, working, working doing, 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 but one day am I ever going to wake up and know who I am? When all of that is unresolved, we have a tendency in our own way, very different ways, to wait autonomously, on autopilot, our way. And the first thing we read in Acts is that they were together waiting. And why were they together? Because Jesus told them to be. In the previous verses, go to Jerusalem and wait. We will never have the power to wait through life's unresolved issues, even the unresolve of our own self, without other people who bear the Spirit of God waiting with us. Now I'm going to say something because we're in dangerous, believe it or not, this is dangerous territory. Because for a long, long history of the evangelical church, that meant everyone in here is in and everyone out there can get us all messed up. And that's not what I'm about to say. But here's where we plug in to have power for out there. Here's where we charge up to go out there with a full battery. Here is where we get the strength to wait through life's unresolved issues. Every single day, I pray this prayer for you. And this is, this is one part of the prayer. I say, Lord, I pray that the people of Salem would sow their hearts into the gospel faithfully, would wait in the midst of life's unresolved issues patiently, would reap the fruit of the Spirit for the life of the world generously, and that they would do all of those in the zeal, wisdom, and passion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I always pray for you. And every time I get to that middle portion that they would wait in the midst of life's unresolved issues patiently, I always feel that's where all the spiritual warfare is. 
The spiritual warfare that we face on a regular basis is in the waiting because how we wait determines how we speak and how we hear. How we wait when we're triggered. How we wait when we feel disorganized. How we wait when things are not resolving determines how we speak to each other and how we hear what is spoken. Have you ever been just a little, let me ask it this way. Have you ever met somebody who you said something to them and what they heard had nothing to do with what you said whatsoever, but now they sent a whole chain reaction and you're in a big cluster because somebody misheard you? They heard you through their triggers. They heard you through their assumptions. They heard you through the fact that they weren't settled on the inside, and so the sound coming out of your mouth entered the tumult and the noise and the circus of their unresolved, and they heard something different. Because when we're not settled... We will speak out of the circus, and we will hear out of the circus of our own soul. And we will misunderstand, and we will be misunderstood. How we wait. So how did they wait? First of all, no, no, no one's going to clap. But they prayed. They devoted themselves to prayer. This is embarrassing. But I can even speak from my own life. I get so busy with good things, not vices, not mistakes, not sin, not meddling, not being a busy, none of that stuff. I get busy with such righteous stuff that I forget uh, what Steve said today, that I have to fight on my hands and knees on a regular basis. I've gone back to having a spot in my house that is just meant for prayer. And nothing else happens there. Instagram doesn't happen there. The New York Rangers, let's get it, doesn't happen there. The New York Mets, the official baseball team of Salem Tabernacle, doesn't happen there. Listen, we're convergent. You could be a Yankee fan or other and still have a place here because Jesus loves everybody. He loves everybody, and it's okay. How we wait and who we wait with. The people you invite into your life will determine how well you wait and how well you speak and how well you listen. And here's the other thing. This is dangerous ground. Stephanie and I, who, by the way, Stephanie's doing very well, and John is doing very well. John asked me, when am I going to get some sleep? I said, never again for the rest of your entire life, but it's cool. You're fine. Stephanie and I have talked about how some pastors preach things about, like, you being too valuable for other people, and so you need to get other people out of your life because you're too valuable. There's a fine line here where it's the people that you invite into your life to the tender part of who you are. They have to bear the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit so that you can have what it takes to love and care for other people who don't do that and help them become people who can do that. Does that make sense? So we're not excluding, there's nobody that should be outside the realm of our influence because we all have a place in Jesus. So everyone else should have a place in this Salem community of people. But when we're in the tender, vulnerable places where things are unsettled and we don't know which way it's going to go and we are, we're losing ourselves, the voices that you bring in in that moment determine so much. Determine so much. And it wasn't just individuals waiting. It was a small group of people who were waiting. 
But it didn't just end with that small group of people. One verse that I read this morning that I never saw before was it was the disciples and a few other people were together in, in the upper room. And when they began to speak in tongues, it said, and the multitude came together. So their unity created a larger unity. It brought in more people into that circle where the Holy Spirit was doing something. Uh, Eugene Peterson said this about uh, New York City. He said, in New York City, everyone wants to be part of the crowd, but nobody wants to be part of the group because it's safe to be a part of the crowd. I can give the illusion that I'm committed to something. What happened in Jerusalem was a hundred and some odd people began to speak in the Holy Spirit, and everyone else who was disjointed, just flying around, began to be pulled into that unity. It's not that they were excluded as the ones who can't be here because their spirit isn't right. They were brought in by what was happening. They waited together, but then it didn't just end with that new multitude. It ends and is continuing with us right now. We've been being pulled into that group for the last 2,000 years, Salem. Jesus said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and we've relegated that to when we die. But what Jesus is saying to the church is that's what we should be saying to the world around us. In Salem is a place for you. In our community are many rooms. I'm looking at about 100 rooms right here. We are the rooms being prepared for other people. Is your life the kind of life that's being lived in a way where those around you say there's a place for me being prepared in that person's life? I have space there to be me. I have space there to be wrong. I have space there to have a bad day. I have space there to be rude. I have space there to not be at my best, and yet I'm treated well. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. We can't measure that at the altar. How many people spoke in tongues on Pentecost Sunday? I don't know. And we could, we could say, oh, you know, we kept track of it. So-and-so did, and so-and-so did, and so-and-so did. But how many people left on Pentecost Sunday with an extra bedroom in their life for somebody else? We don't know. We'll know. You ready? This is a dangerous thing for a pastor to say. I don't want us inviting people to church. I want us inviting people into our life, and they experience Salem in your life, and come here, not because they were invited here, but because they spent time at your table. Because sometimes we invite people to church so that we don't have to invite them to our house. And I would much rather see people at your house than here having no place to go. The Spirit needs to make that room. And how does he do it? He does it while we wait. When you're in an unresolved issue, any unresolved issue, could be work, could be finances, it could be anything, nothing spiritual, just basic ordinary stuff. When you're in an unresolved issue and you begin to wait and you begin to be patient, and you begin to say, I'm not going to let this unresolved issue unresolve me, as that's happening, place is being made in you for other people. We get better. We expand as we go through trial with the Lord. Why is Jesus big enough to contain the whole world? Because he went to death. It grew him to the size of every single person who will ever need him. As we walk through pain, as we walk through sorrow, as we walk through the unresolved, as we wait with each other through it well, we grow to house others. Some of the best 
hospitality that has ever come out of my life has happened in the seasons that I was going through the most stuff. Waiting power. Wait with others. Don't be autonomous. There are people that I know that if I call you, you will get together. You will come over. I will have you at my house. You will say yes. I love that. But there are some of those people who if I don't call them, they'll never call me. I'm speaking to all of us. Some of us call, 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 call. But we feel like we're never called. It is the gift of the Spirit to go when people invite you and to be the inviter. One of those is going to come easier to you than the other because God made us different. One is going to come easier to you than the other, but we need to be doing both, especially here, not because we have a cult, but because when we strengthen each other, this house is strong enough to bring in everything that needs to be brought in, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, the joy, the difference, the new kinds of worship, new kinds of preaching, new kinds of dot, dot, dot. We can get strong enough to handle diversity if we have healthy relationships with each other. One of the enemies of diversity is autonomy. If everybody only ever lives from themselves, their life isn't strong enough to handle something different. Speaking power. Has anybody ever had trouble saying the right thing? My mom, definitely. <laughs> Essie, I'll, I will never criticize you because I feel like you could throw something 100 miles an hour in my direction and I'll wake up at Christmas time. No, 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 get in your bag. Every, every time you open that bag, Essie, I'm like, she said, at least you'll wake up. <laughs> that is terrifying. You ready? Speaking power is clarifying. It's not coercive. Our words should be like a well-cooked meal that is easy to digest. A lot of raw meat has come out of my life, let me tell you. Going to choke. I mean, it has to be. As a matter of fact, another image I saw was that our words should be like a faucet where the Holy Spirit can make us say more, make us say less, turn it to the right temperature that's needed. Right? But our words have to be able to be received. They have to be able to bring clarity not coerciveness. We don't speak to change somebody's mind. We speak to clarify our mind. There's a difference in an argument at home between speaking to get the other person to see it your way versus speaking so that your way is clearly identifiable. That's the only reason. We're, that's why God told us to say good news. Go proclaim the good news, not the good argument. Tell them the truth and make it simple. And then the person has agency to decide. Speaking power. Timing. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And they said, and we heard them speaking in our own language. So, uh, somebody asked Dr. Chris Green, what language does God speak? And Chris right away was like, God speaks Jesus. Which is a phenomenal answer to the question. What language should we speak? We should speak neighbor. 
we should speak other. If I'm talking to Mark, I should be speaking Mark. I shouldn't be demanding that Mark speak me. If I'm speaking to Jacqueline, I should speak Jacqueline, not demand that Jacqueline learn to speak me. We do it with kids easy, don't we? You hear the stuff we say? Oh, Theo, hi, oh my God, do-do-do-do, who's a little do-do-do? Like, what are we doing? We're getting down to their level so they understand we love them, but when it comes to each other, we try to get the other person to speak us. They said, how is it that we hear them speaking in our language? Can you imagine how upside down we can turn the world if we could learn to say Jesus things in the language of non-Christian people that they could hear and receive? Think about the war going on in all the hot-button issues. Everyone's trying to get the other side to speak their language instead of having the maturity and the unhurried, slow approach to learn. How can I speak in a way where you'll understand what I'm saying? We don't do that work. We speak to be heard. We don't speak to be understood. But when we're filled with the Spirit, Jesus constantly, Jesus must have gotten in his tent and been like, how much more simple, God, can I make it? And he kept going lower and lower and lower until he finally said, do you love me? Yes, thank you. Got it. But we demand that other people speak us. I don't want you to speak Pastor Bill. I need to learn to speak Salem. That's how it works. Peter gets up and he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Speaking should help people clarify their moment and realize God is a part of it. So again, think about arguments that you have with people. Once the argument kicks off past level one and it goes to level two, no one's trying to talk about Jesus anymore. Maybe you argue more righteous than the Dandrianos do in our house, but we're not like, once we get like, we start off with like, all right, what does God want here? Oh, I'm really mad at you. I'm really mad at you. You shouldn't be mad at me. Why are you mad at me? What are you talking about? You woke up in a bad mood. I woke up in a bad mood because you had an attitude. How'd I have an attitude? I was sleeping. Bang. We're not talking about Jesus anymore. Jesus is long gone. Now I'm trying to get Jacqueline to speak me, and she's trying to get me to speak her. And right there, we need the Holy Spirit to clarify, to help bring clarity. Clarity so that we can say, this moment we're in now has every gift we could ever possibly imagine in it. I, on Memorial Day, got invited to somebody's house, me and Jacqueline, Sophie and Theo, and they wanted us to bring a few things, cool So we made the idea to go, let's take a family trip to ShopRite on Memorial Day at 1230 in the afternoon. Nobody do this. This really happened. I really made that decision. I'm fine if you don't trust me ever again as a pastor. I made that decision. And so Jacqueline says what she always says, we only have to pick up a few things. Men, maybe one of the things we should talk about at the men's meeting is a few things does not mean to you what it means to them. By halfway through every aisle, you remember at the end when the Grinch finally stole Christmas, that bag he had on top of that sled? That's basically what's happening here. And so we finally get to where the lines start, which the lines basically started near the cheese. And I don't care, lady, you got more than 12 items in that basket. Take some out or move. Like this is, 
So we're back there. I'm annoyed. I'm tired. It's hot. There's so many people everywhere. Probably COVID is just like having a catch like someplace. It's like having all this. And Jacqueline's like, you know what? Why don't I go get the car? And you can stand online. I'm like, cool. Honestly, this will be a respite anyway, so please. So I'm standing there. Hundreds of people, and all of a sudden we hear, ew, 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 emergency, emergency. And we're like, what's going on? And you could see that one of the emergency doors was open. And I'm like, can somebody please watch your kids? Like, what are you doing? And then I looked, and it was Sophia. <laughs> Sophia's standing there. And, like, I didn't want to talk to them at first because I didn't, like, nobody knew you know what I mean? Barbara next to me didn't know that, like, that was my kid. So I'm like, can you believe this? Look at this. Look at this. And then Jacqueline's like, hun, hun. I'm like, just. And I, I said, Lord, help me handle this so that. And the minute I said that, I actually had, again, this isn't, this doesn't get hits. But I said, help me handle this so that. And the minute I made that transaction, I realized that I see life like it's grades at school. If I handle this well, I'll get to move to this one. And if I handle this well, I'll get to move to this one. Help me handle this Memorial Day crisis in ShopRite where everybody's judging me. And all I wanted to do was just judge them. And now they're all judging me. <laughs> Can you just let me once, God, please just judge a group of people and be left alone? That's all I'm asking. It's a holiday. And the Holy Spirit says, then what? This moment you're in, this is what you've been working for. Because this is the life Jesus lived. Hurried, busy, sometimes calm but mostly chaotic. Sometimes there's agreement but mostly controversy. Sometimes there was like these brief moments of celebration but also a lot of stuff going on. And I realized I have this mentality somewhere buried deep beneath my spirit where if I start to do all these things well, then life will get better as I start to learn to live it more right. No. No. Because that means that Jesus lived his life horribly. Because what he got was a cross. Because he lived well. Sometimes when we actually grow, we, God positions us in moments of chaos because our growth actually can hold the chaos for other people. And in that moment, I realize, sometimes I forget that I'm a priest when I leave here. But in that moment of seeing my daughter's face just absolutely mortified, Jacqueline, like, wanting to wave me down, probably so she could do something other than put Sophia in a headlock. And, like, I don't know if you watched WDF back in the day, but DDT her. Jake the Snake stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, like something like the people's elbow off a shopping cart down. And all of us would have been like, go, tag in, you're it. Like, everyone could take turns, jump off, you know? In that moment, I realized so many people in this room are carrying more baggage than what's in their shopping carts. And all of a sudden, I find myself feeling it. Not because I'm failing, but because God has matured my life to the point where I can feel 
the burdens of other people and hold it for them and pray prayers they don't know and talk to a Jesus they maybe haven't met yet and ask for forgiveness for sins they haven't confessed as even sinful yet. And I actually found myself on Memorial Day with a Grinch that stole groceries level of stuff. And, and you know, because obviously also the supermarkets are cheap now. It's like, hey, kids, we're going to buy a gallon of milk. You're never going to eat again, though, because we have to take out a mortgage for this. You know, you're standing in this moment where you're late, you're spending money, those two things go really well. Your kids set off an emergency alarm, everyone's judging you, you just want to judge them, all this kind of stuff. And right there, the Holy Spirit's like, do you realize how much torment is in this room? Speak to me about it for them. That's Pentecost. That's not what we want to hear Pentecost is. But that's Pentecost. Walking in the spirit where you become big enough and can help clarify this life is not about levels. It is about your right now. Life is about your right now. And if you're always waiting to succeed now so you could get something better, you will miss the beauty and you will regret not being present to the moments that are there now, both good and bad. We, oh man, we won't just regret. Yes, I looked at the clock, everyone. Chill. We won't just regret missing the good moments. We will regret not being more present to the bad ones. It's not just that, oh, I wasn't present enough to Theo when he was little cutie pie. I should have just stopped more. I should have just listened more. I should have just not worried about the office as much as I was. I should have just, that's true. But we'll also regret not being slower and more empathetic, and more huggish in the bad moments. Every moment you face is the day of Pentecost. Every moment you have is the moment you've been working hard to be in. Every moment you have is where God wanted you based on everything you've done previous. Every moment you find yourself in is the summation of everything else you've done and God's giving you that moment as a gift. And Jesus shows us how to live in blessing well, in, in, in controversy well, in failure well. Can you lower this a little bit? I feel like you got real loud there for a second. And when we live that way, people will talk. Have you ever felt like people tell you too much? Have you ever felt like, I just wish you didn't say that? That's either because you're super Christian or you're super not. Sometimes people feel comfortable talking to us because God has anointed us. Sometimes people feel comfortable talking to us because they know we entertain gossip easily. I didn't really have much more to say about that. I just wanted to say that. There's two groups of people who heard the, the tongues. And it says that they were bewildered. And there's two groups. I want you, if you forget everything else I said, here's what I want you to remember. One group said, what does this mean? And the other group said, they're drunk. One group was curious. One group was confident. Hearing power is being curious 
not confident. A hundred people hear them speaking in tongues. Fifty people say, what does this mean? Fifty people say, they're drunk. That spirit that immediately makes a confident judgment before it hears anything is a demonic spirit. And we all have that wily little spirit in us all the time. You ready? Here's one way you can sniff out whether or not you have the spirit. If somebody starts talking to you, and you know at the beginning of what they're saying how you'll feel at the end of what they're saying, you're not listening. Salem, I don't know what's up with you today. That's going to save somebody's marriage. If you sit down and somebody starts talking to you and you know at the beginning of what they're going to say, how you will feel and what you'll know at the end of what they're saying, you're not listening. There's times where I make my coffee in the morning, I'm going downstairs to the office, and Jacqueline's like, hey, real quick, and I'm like, God, no. And like right there, my body language and my attitude communicated I don't need to hear what you're going to say next. I know how I'm going to feel at the end of it. And that's a light matter. Go talk to people about politics. They're not listening. Talk to them about social justice. They're not listening. They know how they're going to feel at the beginning, middle, and end of talking with us. Holy Spirit hearing says, what does this mean? I'm going to say what to what you're saying. And when you speak, I'm going to allow myself to go on a journey that I may or may not have planned on going. I might be taken to a place that I didn't know existed and open my eyes to things I have never seen or heard of before. I might, at the end of hearing you, still reside in my previous convictions, but the person who's not willing to go on that journey is not listening. We need to hear in tongues way more than we need to speak in tongues. We need to hear and actually listen and be curious, not confident at the beginning of hearing. Accusation begins with a confidence that will never be changed. When you walk into a situation, when you speak to an issue, when you're interpreting an event, and you know at the beginning exactly what you think it is and nothing anybody ever says is going to change that, you will end up being an accusational person. They're drunk. If Mary never said to Gabriel, how will these things be, we would not have the verse that says, for man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. How many have stood on that verse a time or two in your life? For man this is impossible, with God all things are possible. You know why we have that verse? Because somebody was curious, not confident. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. If somebody wasn't willing to be rejected, to hear a no, we wouldn't have the verse that says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Lord, if you had been here, my brother might be alive. Why didn't you come? If we didn't have that vulnerability of Martha running out to Jesus and being honest about her soul, we wouldn't have the verse that says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whenever we're curious 
and honest, we create the environment for revelation to occur. We create the environment for healing to happen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. The Holy Spirit helps us wait with each other, not alone. And so I want to pray that for some of you, it may be easier for you to process life alone, not for some rebellious issue, but because things have happened to you that make it easier for you to be a private person. And the Holy Spirit understands that. But it's still important that we learn to open the doors of our life up to other people who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's close our eyes. I just want to pray quickly for three groups of people. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't feel like your business needs to put out there in this particular moment like that. But the first thing was waiting power. The power to wait with other people where your life is open to others while you're waiting, while you're hoping, while you're yearning before the fulfillment comes. Holy Spirit, I pray that if it is selfishness that's keeping us from being open to others while we wait, I pray, Holy Spirit, on this day of Pentecost that you would lay your hand on that selfishness and loosen it. Help it to lose its grip on our life and help us to be excited to invite more people in to help us anchor and wait when our soul feels so disturbed and so anxious. And if anyone is here who finds it easier to be alone because of trauma and abuse and other issues, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would send the one or two people into their life that can have the humility and the gentleness to enter that vulnerability and bring healing, not pressure. Bring comfort, not violation. And if that's any of us, I pray that you would help us know who we are for the other people in our church. That we're not just friends who meet on Sunday, but we are bound together on a life journey with one another. Pray that you would anoint our tongue to speak words that are a tree of life and not a tree of death or a tree of judgment or a tree of cynicism. I pray that the majority of what we say would bring gospel health into each other's lives. And when we don't speak well, Help us to embrace your parenthood over us. That you don't condemn us in those moments. You teach us in those moments. You lean into those moments. Get on your hands and knees like we do with our young children and teach us how to do it better. 
I pray that our words would clarify and not bring confusion. That we wouldn't be in a rush to speak them, but we also wouldn't feel that we can't say anything. Help us to speak as the Spirit gives us utterance. And help us to hear in a way that shows the world we see them and we know them and you see them and you know them. Help us to hear in a way that can sometimes do more than words can. Lord, I pray for my own life that you would teach me to hear and be as excited for it as I am to speak. I pray that you would give us the ability to hear what a person is trying to say and not beat them over the head with what they're actually saying. So many times in your gospel, Lord Jesus, it says that you knew their thoughts and then you spoke what need. I pray that you would help us hear what's really true, what somebody's trying to say, somebody that's struggling to say the truth to us because of anger and frustration, I pray that we would hear what they're trying to say. I pray that these three realities that happened on Pentecost, waiting, speaking, and hearing, would be filled with your spirit and become ordinary to us. Ordinary. That we would wait well. That we would speak well. That we would hear well. That we would have the interest of others more than our own interest in any of these encounters. And because of that, I pray that relationships in this room and beyond it would heal not because of some miraculous moment where you healed them without anything changing, but because we've become better waiters, speakers, and listeners. I pray that there would be changes in all of our lives because you're changing us by your Spirit. You're healing us by your Spirit. You're making us more whole by your Spirit. You're bringing us closer to the image and the stature of Christ through your regenerating spirit. And so, God, I ask that your spirit would cleanse, burn off, make right our lives so that our lives can make other people's lives holy. And if we ever wonder what life in the spirit looks like, all we have to do is remember your table. The night that we saw the more excellent way. It's possible, Salem, that when Jesus finally interprets all the tongues ever spoken, think of how many times we've ever spoken in tongues. When Jesus finally interprets what all of those tongues have ever meant, it might just come down to 
him saying through us over and over and over again, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood spilled for you. Imagine how we can say that to the people in our life in a thousand different ways. Everybody, I want you to think of one conflict in your life right now. Conflict within yourself, conflict with somebody else. And ask yourself, what does you saying, this is my body and this is my blood offered to you in love? What does that sound like when it hits your situation? Think about it. What does it sound like? I'm going to pray the words that we pray every Sunday, but I want you to hear them in tongues this morning. I want you to hear it in the tongue of whatever you're facing in your life. What do these words that represent love to the fullest, what do they mean? What do they sound like? when said through the melody of your life, the tumult of your life, the chaos of this conflict. On the night when he was betrayed, when he was in conflict, when he was being opposed, when he was misunderstood and treated unfairly, Jesus, always full of the Spirit, said in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you come to this table, eat this bread in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. And so we feed on this bread. We put the sound of those words into our body through the bread. What does it sound like when we digest those words of Christ and say them into our chaos, say them into our situations, say them into the conflict that we even have in our own self with our own self. What does it sound like when we live a Eucharistic life? What tongue is that? If Jesus can roll the dice on those words and bring salvation through death, I'm excited at the power that can be unleashed in my life and your life this week. And it won't be the kind of power that impresses people. It just might be the kind that heals you from your anxiety. Would that be nice? The kind that settles a dispute. The kind that helps somebody know that you've loved them and you just didn't know how to say it. The kind that gives you stronger muscles to handle the wrong of somebody else until Jesus can lay hold of their life. What if we got that kind of power? Not the kind that makes our church go from 130 to 130,000, but the kind that just helps you have a better conversation at the dinner table when you haven't even had dinner in a long time. The kind that makes your job feel a little more tranquil than it did on Friday. The kind that makes you look at your busy life that you have coming up this week, and all of a sudden, you're looking at it, and it's not the beast wagging its finger in your face that it felt like when you walked into church today. What if you looked at it and said, oh, 
I'm going to find the Garden of Eden in that busy week I have coming up. What if that kind of healing happened? It happens when we hear Jesus speak in tongues over our life. What language is he speaking for you? What language is he giving you for a conflict in your life? Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you descend on us, forgive us of our sins, and anoint us for the task of the ministry of bringing your love to bear on the world around us and in our own life. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. As we worship one more time, Salem, you're welcome to come from the back to the front. I'll be standing right here. Receive the bread, and as you, as you ingest, as you eat the bread this morning, God is going to give you a language for whatever it is that you're facing in your life. He's going to give you a language. Be ready to hear it. Be ready to receive it. And be ready to walk in that language during the week this week. Let's continue to worship. You're welcome to come from the back to the front. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.